All right. Well, Jesus is alive. It's what we celebrated last Sunday, Easter Sunday, the resurrection. It's what we celebrate each Sunday and hopefully every day of our lives as followers of Jesus. As we approach the text today, the last text in Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 11 through 20, you can go ahead and turn there. I want us to consider how we live in light of resurrection. The resurrection is more than just an event. It does something. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, then that does something. It means something. It has an effect. You can't simply gloss over his words. If he said, I'm going to die, but in three days I'm going to live again, and he does that, we just can't gloss over his words. We can't just go on living as if he's still in the grave, or at least we shouldn't go on living as if he's still in the grave. The resurrection should cause us to live differently. It should have an impact. To live to glorify the one who was raised by displaying his words and ways to the world. You could say we live in light of the resurrection when we display his kingdom qualities to those around us. In the text today, we see two different responses to the resurrection, and I hope that we're encouraged to consider how our lives reflect or don't reflect resurrection life through it. So go ahead and stand and follow along. We're going to be looking at Matthew 28, beginning with verse 11 through the end of the chapter. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us to know you through your word. Helping us to know how to live for you through your word. We pray that you'd help us this morning as we consider the resurrection and how we ought to respond to you being alive, Lord. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Now remember how the women went and told what they had seen 
to the disciples. Well, the guards do that too. Not to the disciples, but to the religious leaders. It says they told them all that had taken place. So about the angel, its appearance, how they became as dead men, the stone being rolled away, Jesus being gone, raised from the dead. It says they go and they tell them what happened. Now how will they respond? What can the religious leaders do now? These guards saw an angel, literally. And we don't know after that, did they, in a state of fear and like dead men, see the stone rolled away? Did they see Jesus? Regardless, they cannot deny the angel. They saw an angel and then became as dead men. And it goes on, verses 12 through 15, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is the kind of pride that kills you. This is pride in the religious leaders. First, they pay off the soldiers. It's hard to believe that these soldiers would take the money in light of actually seeing an angel. They know that happened, but they take the money and they Listen to what these religious leaders are telling them. They tell the guards to tell people that it was the disciples, that they actually came and they stole Jesus' body out of the tomb while the soldiers slept, which is a risk because bad things happen to soldiers who fall asleep on the job. They don't live through that. So that's a risk, but they take the money and they do just as the religious leaders are telling them to do because the religious leaders assure them, if it gets to the governor's ears, we're going to take care of that for you. We'll appease the governor. We'll let him, you're going to be fine. So imagine this with the religious leaders here. They are trying to cover up the resurrection by telling the very story that they had hoped to prevent. That's why the soldiers were there in the first place. They sealed the tomb and put the guards there because they were afraid the disciples would come and steal Jesus' body away. And now they're using that story as a cover for the resurrection. This is pride that leads to death. This is one way to live in light of resurrection. This is a way to respond to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it leads to death. It leads to separation from God. They lie to themselves and to others to cover the fact that Jesus really did rise from the dead. They keep living their lives as if Jesus is dead. Jesus had said they would get no sign but the resurrection. You remember that? Give us a sign. 
to show us, to prove to us that you really are the Son of God. He says, you'll get no sign but the sign of Jonah. Now they have the sign they demanded, the sign that Jesus promised, but instead of believing and submitting to him, they attempt to destroy the evidence. It's pride. It's arrogance. The guards live as if Jesus is dead because they love money more than the truth. The religious leaders love power and position. So they're willing to lie and deny that Jesus was raised. There's a better way, a way that leads to life and love, and we see it in the rest of the text. Verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Remember that Jesus told them to meet him in Galilee. That's, that's where we're picking up here in verse 16. They're on a mountain again. It's the 11 disciples, just as he had directed them in verse 10. And it says in verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, I want us to notice something here. This is the 11 disciples, the 12 minus Judas. And they see Jesus, their risen Savior, their King, and they worship him. What a wonderful time and scene that must have been. It must have been amazing and joyful and hopeful. But please notice what else Matthew says. They worshipped him, but some doubted. This is the eleven. Some doubted. Now what that doubt looked like, I don't know exactly. Maybe it's like what Luke describes in Luke chapter 24, verses 36 and following. It says this, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Maybe it's that kind of doubt. Maybe it's the doubt that Thomas experienced that we know the story about. But it's doubt. Matthew tells us they worshiped, but some doubted. And it's incredibly important because it is to these doubting yet worshiping disciples that Jesus gives his commission and his promise. Remember that. It was to doubting yet worshiping disciples that Jesus gave his commission and promise. And here's why it's important. Because this is a tough text for a lot of people. A lot of people 
look at this text and, and, and assign it to others. This is not for me. This is not something I could possibly do. This is certainly not something Jesus would expect me to be or do. It's to doubting and yet worshipful disciples, he says this. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have it all figured out to obey the Great Commission, to live in light of resurrection. Just go to him, just as these doubting and scared disciples did. They went to him. They went where he told them to go and met him there, and he commissions them and sends them from that. And here's the commission promise he gives to these doubting and yet worshipful disciples. Verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. All authority has been given to me. So, whatever comes next, we can trust that Jesus is able to get us through it. He's able to equip. He's able to empower. He's able to strengthen. He's able to pull. He's able to help us through it. His authority, the authority of Jesus is the basis for everything else in this text. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. He has all authority. And let's think about that as it relates to the language that we so often hear or use in the church. We often will hear someone say something like Jesus or, 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 or that we make Jesus Lord of our lives. And I want to say, I understand where we get that. But it's not accurate. It's not true. We might submit to Him as Lord of our life, but we don't make Him Lord of our life. He's been that. He is that. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Him. The authority of your life, my life, your neighbor's life, any person that you can comprehend, He has authority there already. It's whether or not we submit to Him. All authority has been given to Him. He's in fact Lord of your life whether you want Him to be or not. The opportunity, grace, and blessing you have is to submit to Him as Lord. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now this is the commission. Therefore, since I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, make disciples. 
And when we read this in the English, it looks like there are multiple imperatives. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. But that's not the case in the original language. There is one imperative in this commission. Make disciples. The rest helps us know how to do that. It's, it's more... Uh, as, as if we were to say, as you are going along, make disciples. And that's important because I think we can look at a text like this and, and, and the weight of it, and when we see that first word as go, you better go, make disciples, baptizing them and teach them, we can categorize that to a specific people who are meant to go to a specific place, most likely overseas, and then they make disciples because they are goers who do that. That's not the heart of the text. As you are going along in life, make disciples. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is for you the doubting yet worshipful disciples of Jesus. It's for me. It's for all of us. The command is for all of us. Whether you feel called to go to distant lands and tell people the good news about Jesus and how he came to rescue people from their sin, how he himself identified with sinners and was crucified in the place of sinners so that they could go and be reconciled to God the Father. That He was buried and three days later rose from the dead, never to die again. Whether you feel called to go to distant lands with that message or not, you're called to make disciples according to that truth, wherever you are. What does that look like? Well, first, we talk about the gospel. We talk about the good news. And we do that in correlation to how we live. In other, in other words, we speak about the gospel as we live according to the gospel. And we aren't perfect. We won't be until we are with Him, but we point to the one who is perfect and who made a way for us to know him. But in doing so, we strive to live according to his gospel, to, according to his good news. And so we seek to demonstrate his kingdom qualities. We just worked through this entire book of Matthew, verse by verse by verse by verse. We cannot escape the fact that Jesus represents the kingdom well and calls us to display kingdom qualities, to flesh out by the power of the Spirit the qualities of humility, meekness, kindness, mercy. We seek to be people walking who demonstrate the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we seek to display. We speak about the gospel as we live according to the gospel. We are kingdom people. And we desire for people to hear about the kingdom and to see this is what the kingdom looks like. No matter what you've seen on TV, no matter what your experience has been, no, no, no. This is what kingdom 
looks like. This is how Jesus described the kingdom of God. And then, by God's grace, when someone trusts in Christ, we baptize them. We demonstrate or show the gospel. That's what baptism does. Baptism symbolizes identification with the person of Christ. Immersion in the body of Christ. It's a picture. It's a display. It's showing off what Christ has done. And it's an act of obedience. It's demonstrating that Jesus is Lord of my life. And he said to be baptized. So I begin there. I'm going to be baptized. Because Jesus, you said to do that. So I'm going to be baptized as a display to people of what you have done. You have immersed me in Christ. The old is gone and the new is come to life. It's a means of publicly declaring your faith and trust in Christ that you identify with God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then we teach the Word. We're to be teachers of the Word. We're to be people who teach the Word to others. That's a part of discipleship. We're not done discipling when someone enters the waters of baptism. And listen, that's an issue. That's an issue in the church. So often we want that just tally checked off. They believed. They prayed a prayer. They did this. They believed the gospel. And then they actually got baptized. Next. And we just leave them. We're not done when someone enters the waters of baptism. No, Jesus says, we, we are to teach them to observe everything he has commanded us. So as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't just be people who digest the word. No, we seek to reproduce it, to deliver to others what was delivered to me, to you. Imagine how that might help you to grasp the word better if you are also sharing it with others. This is what Jesus is like. This is what the word says about him. We teach the word as those who really do believe it is truth. Lastly, I want to highlight we do this in service of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of ourselves. Jesus says that we are to make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. The word nations means people groups, not just going to far distant lands, which is beautiful, which is good, which the Lord may call you to do in His grace but going to people groups purposefully, those that aren't like you, with the message of the gospel. And that's not to make them like you. It's that they would know Jesus, that they might be a part of His kingdom, that they might know His grace, 
they might know His mercy, that they might know His kindness towards them. Go to tribes, families, clans, peoples, people groups, and let them see and know how wonderful Jesus is. That is Jesus' commission to you. That is His word of commission to you and to me. Whether it's in our neighborhoods or our workplaces or our homes or wherever, you have been commissioned by Jesus to make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then there's this promise, and it is wonderful. Verse 20, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That should be motivating to us. Without question, his presence and his promise should motivate us. Not at all because Jesus will be with us if we make disciples. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if you make disciples, I'll be with you. It says, I will be with you always. Always. Because Jesus will be with us always, even when we aren't living in light of resurrection. Even when we aren't telling others how glorious He is. He's faithful to us when we are not faithful to Him. That's the beauty of the gospel and of His promise to us. The gospel account, Matthew, began with the words, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. And it ends with this promise, I am with you. I want to encourage you here and ask you, what do you believe Jesus is able to do through your life? Think about that honestly. What do you believe Jesus is able to do through your life, through your circumstances. Ephesians 3.20 says that he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now, what is that power at work within us? Well, Paul says earlier in Ephesians 1 verse 19 he prays that they would know the power at work within them. And he says, it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's remarkable. That that, that same power is at work within you to make you into the image of Jesus. 
That's incredible, and we often neglect to live in light of that. We often neglect to live in light of the fact that Jesus really is alive, really is working on our behalf. A life lived in light of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and was raised, will be a life under his authority, knowing his presence is always there. He is with us always and devoted to helping others know the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. I want to say here, if you're here and you would like to be helped in this and growing in making disciples, I'd encourage you to talk to Corey after the service. He and Megan lead a discipleship class. I'm sure they would love to get you plugged into it. I would encourage you to take the class, but start practicing now. Living in light of resurrection, living in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, practicing that now because he is alive. And others will see that in you. We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together, remembering together. We remember the truths of the gospel each and every time we take the bread and we take the cup. We rehearse the truths of the gospel each and every time we do this. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We remember and we rehearse the gospel together. We believe. We are a people shaped by the fact that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins and was raised to life forevermore. We're shaped by that. And so we rehearse that together and we proclaim his death until he comes together through the taking of the bread and the cup. I would encourage you, if you don't know him or haven't submitted to him as Lord, I want to encourage you not to partake of the elements today. People will be dismissed to come forward and, and get the bread and get the cup and go back to your seats. But I want, I want to encourage you, consider Christ today. These are, these are symbols, they're elements that remind us of what Christ has actually done. And so if you haven't trusted in him, then today don't, don't take of the bread and the cup, take of him. Seek him, partake of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're so good to us, Lord so faithful. Lord, your promise to us, you are with us always to the end of the age. We're hopeless without that. And yet we're prone to forget. We're prone to live as if 
as if that's not true, to doubt. And so, Father, I pray for your help, even right now as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. Help us to remember the truth that you are with us. And help us to be shaped by that, Lord. Shaped by the presence of the living Christ. To be people who seek to make disciples. That others would know you and treasure you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.